podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Trey Strolka with the Sons of UCF, joined by Eric Lopez of the Black and Gold Banneret. Welcome to the first episode of a new show we're calling Around the Kingdom. Elo, what are we doing here? What's this all about? This is wild. We're going to be talking UCF topics in a handful of minutes. We're going to hit as many topics as we can and debate some of the hot topics throughout UCF athletics. It's going to be fun, Trace. A little back and forth. You know, during uh, the pandemic and the beginning of COVID, we would hop on Zooms and some of these games would be very late night. Uh, I think we were on with UCF men's soccer head coach Scott Calabrese well past one. Was it 2 a.m.? And and I've said to you through the years, we talk sports over the phone, direct message, text message throughout the week, UCF and all kinds of sports. It'd be great if we could combine our, our love of UCF sports and college sports and, and come together in a show. In other words, just take the yelling that you and I were doing on the phone and take it on record. It's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Now, before we launch into our discussions this uh, this show, let's welcome in Adam Eaton of the Sons of UCF. He's going to keep things rolling along behind the scenes and as well keep us on track time-wise. Hello, Adam. Greetings, gentlemen. I feel like the third wheel here, but uh, happy to be part of the first ever Around the Kingdom. And uh, I'm the little guy in the corner if you need me. All right. He'll be watching the clock. We're going to talk various segments, about five minutes each. We, we can go over, right, though, Elo? Yeah, it depends on how heated the topic gets, but that's where Adam comes in. He's the referee. He could decide to, like, stop it, you know, stop the fight or uh, let us go for an extra few seconds. We'll see how, uh, you know, it, it could go a little bit at the bell. All right. Well, why don't you kick things off? What's our first topic? Well, of course, it's football. It's football, folks. It's Big 12 Media Days going on in Arlington right now, but the preseason poll came out recently with UCF being picked in the eighth spot in the Big 12 preseason polls. Uh, Trace, is that fair or is that foul? Very fair. I think historically we've seen the transition uh, from the so-called group of five that jump up to the power five being a little bit rocky for a lot of schools. That's a bit of a different era, right? The transfer portal has uh, really changed that uh, landscape. But, you know, we're going to have to see how these teams, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston as well, UCF transition in their first year in the Big 12. But I think it's more than fair. Overperform expectations. I, I know there's a lot of hope that goes in uh, to preseason and the fan base. And I mean, I'm already seeing people say, oh, we're going to be back at Jerry's world, right, for the conference championship game. Whoa. You know, win at Kansas State first, guys. You know, I, my expectations are very realistic. Uh, six and six qualify for one of the many bowl games. They've added another one, as uh, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark uh, formally announced during the first day of Big 12 Media Days, the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Some bowl game somewhere would be, to me, a success. Anything beyond that, that's just gravy in the first year of the Big 12 for UCF. I think it's fair as well. However, I will point out if we did and around the kingdom a year ago in the Big 12, you know who was in near the bottom picked in the preseason poll? TCU. Mm -hmm. TCU was seventh. How'd they do? They got to the national championship game, won the what well, got to the Big 12 title game. So I think we put too much stock, regardless of what conference we're in, on preseason polls. And I think the Big 12 in particular is the most meaningless preseason poll of all the football preseason polls. There's no dominant team. Texas is the preseason favorite. But I don't think it would be a shocker to me 
if UCF actually finished at the top of the league because this league is so competitive from top to bottom. One score possession games could make the difference between a team going six and six and five and seven and playing in the Big 12 title game. So if UCF gets improvements at the quarterback position from John Rice Plumley, among other areas, it wouldn't totally shock me if UCF was near the top. But at the same time, I think this is fair. If you're the Big 12, you're, who, why, you're not going to vote a, a new kid in the block ranked so high. I think you're going to go with the establishment. Interestingly, Texas is the preseason pick, Oklahoma near the top. But I don't think it's crazy for football to contend right away. I, I don't think this is this. If UCF was in the SEC, I would say, well, you got no chance. You got Alabama and Georgia that's dominating the league. The Big Ten is dominated by Ohio State and Michigan. There is not a dominant team in the Big 12 that you're like, oh, my God, I, we can't overcome that team, Trace. Well, you know, it's said now that UCF has the most Big 12-ready roster amongst the teams coming in. But the depth that you're going to need to make it through the slog of this uh, season – Four home games in the Big 12 for UCF, five road games. It means UCF, to find themselves contending, as you suggest they might, it means they're going to have to perform well at a Kansas State and, oh, by the way, at Oklahoma as well, protect the bounce house. And you use the word if, if John Rice Plumley. That's the big if, how he performs. We know it was a mixed bag. Uh, you know, he loaded up against Temple and struggled against other schools, right? The more competitive schools and dealt with injury issues. Will he face injury issues? What will the rest of the team do from an injury standpoint? I mean, they're loading up uh, in the transfer portal as well on the recruiting trail, but the depth needed to make it all the way through a tough slog in the Big 12. I, I, there's a big if I think that's going to surround UCF. You say you might not be surprised to see them in a Big 12 championship game. I would find that very surprising. Well, I only say shocking because uh, you know, I would not be surprised because, again, the Big 12, I think, of all the leagues could be the most unpredictable where a team from the bottom preseason ends up there. We saw it last year with TCU. Do you think TCU was this great team? I don't. I think TCU was kind of a lucky team uh, that got the ball bounced their way very well. However, one interesting thing, no players selected on the preseason all-conference teams, which is very – something to not you get used to there. It's a little strange that none of the skill position guys got in there with UCF. The line of scrimmage, the trenches, will be the key for UCF. That's where they might struggle, to your point, on the depth. But I was – it was interesting to see no skill position guys for UCF at all in the all-conference. So, at least UCF's got a chip on the shoulder. Preseason polls mean nothing, right? So, I think it's good for UCF that they don't have all of these guys on the preseason all-conference team and that they're not picked too high, you know, for whatever it's worth in this era of bulletin board material – have that chip on your shoulder. I mean, you heard it even from TCU's head coach. Ah, you're, you're thinking too highly of us. So everybody uh, is trying to use that as motivation. I think UCF's positioned just well to surprise some folks, overperform. Moving on to our second topic, as these preseason announcements come out, volleyball projected ninth. That's a different spot than where UCF has found itself the last several years as it's rolled up conference championships in the American now, begs the question, Elo, which UCF sport do you think flourishes in the Big 12 initially, and what's in it going to be a struggle for? Great question. I think, obviously, we're going to have to get used to some of these preseason rankings, right? Like, getting used to, like, ninth. Like, everybody was like, whoa. But, you know, with volleyball, it's kind of understandable. They lose the greatest player ever in McKenna Melville. They lose one of their top three setters of all time in UCF in Amber Olsen. And, of course, their head coach, Todd Dagenet, leaves out of nowhere. 
you got to talk to him, the exclusive first interview of him bolting for this pro volleyball league that's starting up in February. So I think UCF volleyball is in a bit of a rebuild. So that could be a bit of a, a, a struggle early on for them. I think, you know, you look at obviously though, the program that you question the most of man, this could be a tough hurdle is men's basketball and women's basketball. I, mean, I think that's been well established. The big 12 is the number one conference in the big in basketball men's hoops. I just, it's going to take a while. It's a giant leap. I mean, I remember when men's basketball made the jump from the A-Sun to CUSA, and that was considered a big jump. That's nothing compared to what this jump is now. As far as who could flourish, I think women's soccer and softball. Softball's got a stacked roster. I think they could be a borderline top 25 team. They might be picked fifth in the Big 12 when that preseason poll comes out, but fourth or fifth in the Big 12 in softball means you could be in the mix to host a regional. So it's not the end of the world. And that's something that we'll have to get used to, I think, for UCF fans. And I think women's soccer, there's no juggernaut in the Big 12 in women's soccer. UCF can compete right away, I think, with Coach Zahedek. They have good transfer class coming in. Caroline Delio returns. I think women's soccer and softball could have a lot of success right away. And I still think football could succeed pretty quickly. Maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years. I think football can have success. I agree with you that women's soccer, I think, is the best position. You mentioned it. You're the voice of UCF softball on ESPN Plus and have covered the program for a long time. Oklahoma is still in this league in softball, which makes things challenging. Let me ask you this, though. When Oklahoma moves from this league, Coach Cindy Ball Malone has really been shaping this roster, you know, with great recruiting classes. That's where I think, not this upcoming season, overlapping with Oklahoma. But beyond that, I think that softball is well-positioned as well women's soccer. Well, Oklahoma and Texas, let's not forget Texas, who played for the national title about a year ago. They're going to be a top-10 team probably coming back this upcoming year. You're right. Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC. I think it's UCF, Oklahoma State, and Baylor in the Big 12 competition. But I think, to me, Trace, we can't take that for granted. I Now – the games really start because the thing about the Big 12 that we're all going to have to get used to, this is not like the American or the mid-major league conferences where some schools care about certain sports but don't care about others, and so they don't invest in it interest-wise or, or even facility-wise. Everybody in the Big 12 cares. So now UCF can't just, hey, we're going to be good in softball. Remember in baseball, they were really good, right? We thought, hey, they're going to be awesome going to CUSA. But they didn't do anything to help enhance the baseball program. The, the stadium stayed the same for a long time. And what happened? Baseball struggled and really has not been successful in the CUSA years, except for a year or two, and then certainly in the American, except for one year. So you can't – I think every program has to make upgrades. You've talked. We've talked about the facilities in softball. That needs to be addressed if they want to long-term contend in the, in, the, in the big conferences. But I agree. I think after OU and Texas leaves – Softball will be at the top contenders uh, for the Big 12, considering Coach Ball Malone has a top 17 class coming in this fall for softball. They seem to be saying, I think women's soccer is the same boat. Uh, you know, women's volleyball, Texas is the big powerhouse. They leave after a year. So that will also help Jenny Bauer in volleyball after this year. But this first year will be tough uh, for all the sports uh, there speaking. And unfortunately for basketball, yeah, OU in Texas is leaving, but Kansas ain't. Baylor. <laughs> no, no they got to get rid of all the rest of them in order yeah. to be competitive. A, a name, a, a program that wasn't mentioned there that I think has possibilities is track and field. Dana Boone has done a tremendous job, indoor and outdoor championships for UCF in the American. I think they can move into the Big 12. And, you know, you mentioned something about 
facility upgrades, I think Night Nation all across the board is in favor of that. But how important are upgrades? Maybe that's a future topic for us. I think NIL era, right? Yeah, you can uh, offer offer the dollars to players and, and maybe they overlook the quality of the locker room a little bit. Maybe facilities, maybe not just as important as it used to be. Uh, so I think track and field, for me, men's and women's basketball, I said to friends last year, uh, enjoy these basketball wins. You're not going to see many of them for a long time to come without a significant investment on the part of the fan base and UCF athletics can basketball be competitive and going to be interesting to see what baseball does now moving on from the Greg Lovelady era, what kind of rebuild, how long it's going to take for them to become competitive in the big 12. Yeah. Baseball is a great league has had a team in the world series over the last six years in Omaha. Of course, we talked about facilities. One of the key reasons for upgrades in facilities, Trace, is our next stop is attendance. Want to help attendance people come out to your facilities. And one of them is football. Football's already sold out three games, conference games, uh, this upcoming season. They've sold out the Baylor game. The Oklahoma State game's been sold out. West Virginia. Trace, is this going to be the, so the, you know, the signs of everything? We're going to sell out all the time now? We're never going to have a, 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 a ticket to be found for a football game? You said three of six, and I know it's still mid-July, but they have not sold out the home opener against Kent State. They haven't sold out Villanova, and maybe there's not a lot of juice in the fan base to see Houston uh, as they move into the Big 12 along with UCF. Uh, you know, when there's talk of expanding the stadium, let's, let's have it be 65. Sell out 45 solid. I think there's going to be interest from alums of these other programs. I think UCF fans don't realize the depth of interest. Uh, in these Big 12 programs. Again, it's not Temple and Tulsa anymore. It's Kansas. It's Oklahoma State. Uh, when BYU played at UCF some years back, they rented out the baseball field for their alumni pregame tailgate. This is a big fan base. And I think there's going to be a lot of juice around those. But it goes to speak, right, of the brand names that matter to fans. Tulsa doesn't mean as much as Oklahoma State means, right? Baylor, there's some juice around Baylor in a way in which there isn't around Houston. I'm not convinced this is a, a first year. I think you're going to see bumps in attendance. You'll see the increase in the viewership uh, on ESPN Plus of sports, you know, as it attracts these fan bases from the Big 12. Uh, you know, these are programs that date back 100 years or more, right? And UCF's the new kid on the block. I think they need to still do a great deal more on attendance and uh, let me hear about Kent State being sold out. And let me hear about Villanova being sold out, and uh, uh, and 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 the students in particular staying, no matter what the score is. UCF up big over a Villanova, or perhaps down big uh, to one of these Big Twelve opponents. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I'm not sold that they are selling out for a long time to come. Well, I think we agree. This is the honeymoon period, right? Like, it's a new thing, right? Like, hey, this is the first to check it out, right? The Baylor game is going to be a historic first home game of the Big 12 Conference. But I do think we're going to sell out more of these games than not, as long as UCF wins, Trace, right? People like winning products. And look what's ahead in college football, an expanded playoff. Now you're in a conference where you know that if you do really well, let's say you win the Big 12 or maybe finish runner-up, you got a legit shot to make the playoff. I do think that'll help. And the thing that's impressive to me about these sellouts is none of these games are Texas or Oklahoma. So you can't just say, oh, you just got Texas and Oklahoma shipped to you as a gift. And that's a marquee game. Like nothing against Baylor and Oklahoma State. But I mean, these are not like OU Texas level. I actually have been impressed. I do think they will sell out most of these games for the next first 
few years coming up here because it's brand new. It's marquee. All six? Uh, I don't know about all six. I mean, listen. No, you I'm don't not, know about not... all six in their first year in the Big 12? Well, I think everybody, down... everybody in college football is struggling to sell out games against 45,000. It's an FCS school. You're going to fight, you know, but who's going to play? Who's going to go out to play Bethune and all that? I, I understand people not wanting to go see them on a Thursday night against Kent State. I mean, that's. Oh, on the dude. mighty Mac, UCS former conference. Okay. <laughs> the Mac the rivalry there back in the day. With uh, back in Rins, the day. I think, right? The Citrus Bowl. So maybe the non-conference games, like if they're not marquee, you're right. They may not sell out. But I think the conference games will sell out, which I think is just as important. Remember, the Big 12, unlike the American, they're going to bring fans. I think we're going to see a lot of visiting fans. I expect a lot of West Virginia fans to make the trip to Orlando, too. Because think about it. From a, a, a visiting standpoint, if you're in West Virginia, Oklahoma State fan, whatever, you get to come to Orlando. It's the best city in the conference by far outside of maybe you want to argue Dallas. So uh, that's going to help sellouts, too, for the conference games. The non-conference, no, I don't think it'll sell out all the time unless UCF draws a non-conference marquee opponent. Uh, but that's okay. I think that's a problem in college football. Florida, Florida State, Miami aren't selling out games against non-conference FCS opponents either. So I don't think that's a UCF issue. I think that's a college football issue. Uh, you know, you mentioned needing success, too. How long is that honeymoon period? There's been a great deal of success across athletics. Every program, year in and year out, posting winning records in postseason. Those things aren't as automatic or as guaranteed now in this first year in the Big 12. As losses may pile up in some sports, particularly, say, basketball, uh, will, will that honeymoon period and quicker uh in these sports well that's a great point so i do i think you would agree i think every sport's going to get a bump in attendance men's basketball will get an attendance bump the concern is is it because ucf fans are coming out to see that the opponent or is it the opponent's fans but i do think you're going to see a bump in attendance in all these sports uh across the board in the first year or two and then it's like okay are you are you contending are you winning Basketball, you're right. I mean, you're in an NBA town. That could be an issue. But I think football's too. Fans aren't going to tolerate Trey six and six, seven and five for too long. Like you could say, hey, it's a rebuild. But, you know, one year, I mean, at some point, they're like, hey, you got to get winning soon. And you talk about the opponent. Remember when Michigan played UCF men's basketball in the arena? That crowd was a, a, a good percentage. Michigan. Now, there was a lot of juice in the arena that night. It was a fun atmosphere, but a lot of Michigan fans came out. Volleyball announces its schedule, and I messaged you, and I said, hey, Friends over in Tampa, not on the schedule, and some people predicted, right? And we may see it in some other sports, perhaps, that the games are scheduled with USF. But now USF is off that schedule. Official, of course, with UCF moving to the Big 12 is that USF's main rival may be FAU. And the question is, for you, is it time to stop talking about them, stop poking at them, stop making fun of them? Have we moved on to bigger things and we can leave them behind? Yes, we've moved on. Uh, they're not on our football schedule. By the way, we're doing just fine with our attendance selling out. All right. So people are like, hey, we need USF in the football game. We don't. Here's the thing. They're not in our schedule. They're not in the conference. Do we talk about Stetson anymore? No. Do we Rollins, talk about Rollins in men's basketball. Right. Like, <laughs> we're punching down now. Leave them alone. Let them figure it out in the American. They got to battle Florida Atlantic over there. We got our own teams we got to deal with. In the Big 12. Yeah, I think it's time, Trace. That's it. Don't need to add, you know, rub it in. I understand some UCF fans are holding grudges from Jen Shaft from 100 years ago. But look at it now. UCF got the last laugh there. 
there's no need to punch down. That the, we we got bigger fishes to fry than worried about. Hey, look at UCF! Ha ha! They're laughing. You know they can't draw. You know, time to move on, Trace. Time to move on. Is it having a grudge though, or I got to tell you, from my perspective, it's savoring their defeat, enjoying them wallowing a bit, and, you? and watching them so upset about FAU poking at them. Uh, I get asked uh, in our mailbag segment questions, when, when are you going to stop posting things? But I post on social media what interests me. And so if someone's poking fun of them, I still find it enjoyable. And I will root for their failure in all sports. Uh, but I do think it's interesting. I know it's from a competitive standpoint. Volleyball is trying to upgrade its schedule, its non-conference schedule to match its conference schedule. But no South Florida on there signifies to me you're not going to see them in a lot of places, right? You're not going to see them in football for the foreseeable future. And it's going to be interesting to me to see which other programs, you know, uh, Greg Lovelady had talked about, well, baseball might schedule them. Is that still going to be a thing? Will Sidney Ball Malone schedule them in softball? It's going to be interesting. And I think it's something you've talked about before. If it's a good program that they have, and softball has been a very competitive program, then it might be good from an RPI standpoint to have a close game. Uh, along I-4 uh, to schedule uh, instead of having to travel somewhere for a game or what have you, or buy game uh, to bring somebody into Orlando. So I think that's going to be interesting. But you mentioned uh, Stetson, and again, longtime fans will remember Rollins. Over time, those rivalries, uh, you know, dissipated. And, and you're probably going to see that as well. With, uh, I think it's a sport. I think it's a sport by sport. I think softball will continue to play. That's a good RPI game. Something to keep in mind, too. In the Olympic sports, if, for example, if both teams are good, there's a very good chance they're going to get paired against each other in the NCAA tournament. So, for example, in softball, if UCF were to host a regional, USF more than and USF makes the tournament, they're probably coming to Orlando. Or if both teams get shipped to the same regional, same thing in volleyball or, or you know whatever Olympic sport you want to make, baseball, et cetera. So that also is a factor, and I think that's in some of these sports that rivalry will continue in that way. But as far as Football and basketball, there is no rivalry. I've said that. Uh, this has not been a rivalry. They This thing doesn't draw sell out in Tampa when UCF plays there. It's a de facto UCF game. How does UCF benefit from that? Their, USF's been terrible. So it hurts your really resume standpoint. So I don't think UCF's going to play UCF, USF or should unless it benefits them. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think in some sports it'll still be a rivalry, but not in all. And I don't think it's the end of the world. Like UCF used to have rivalries with Stetson. It was Remember how it was a huge rivalry, Stetson, UCF baseball, and the A-Sun? You know, mm -hmm. Pete Dunn against Jay Bergman, <laughs> Justin Pope against Lenny DiNardo. Now they play in a midweek. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? Like it's, eh, it's just another a different era. So June 30, 2024, the end of the first year in the Big 12. How many of UCF's athletic programs do you think will have scheduled USF over the course of that one year? We know volleyball isn't, and we haven't seen it from the soccers. So, and you know, football's not going to. I would expect softball will play them. Uh, it's just a matter baseball, of baseball, maybe. I think baseball will play still, whether it's a midweek or weekend, I don't know. No basketball. There's no benefit to the uh, No, neither one. I mean, let's be real. Uh, I don't think the men's side, I don't think you don't. I mean, you've been there the last couple of years where they've gotten beat up at USF. You gain nothing from it. It hurts your rep. I would argue those losses to USF cost them NCAA, a possibility of an NCAA tournament or hosting an NIT game. There's no benefit in playing that game. And the women's team right now is in rebuild. USF's actually pretty good there. So I don't see that either. So I think you're maybe maybe your tennises, your golf. Oh yeah, yeah. Those will yeah, you're gonna get those still. And I think women's soccer will still play. 
Men's soccer, I'm not so sure because they're in a new league. Speaking of men's soccer, there's the boom. Segway that to men's soccer. Oh, by the way, do you know, Trace, that men's soccer is not in the Big 12? No, that's correct. I can tell you the Big 12, we're all celebrating the Big 12. Oh, by the way, UCF men's soccer will be in the Sun Belt. Why? Because the Big 12 does not sponsor Big 12 soccer. They do not sponsor men's soccer. So, Trace, as someone who has covered men's soccer, has talked to Scott, Cal Scott Calabrese at 2 in the morning and for postgame. <laughs> My question to you, sir, is will men's soccer kind of be forgotten in the Sun Belt while we're all focused on the Big 12? No, though, of course, they practice on a field that has the Big 12 logo on the side, uh, right? Uh, that's interesting. No, this is a highly competitive league in the Sun Belt. I think you said it earlier. Will a program have success if men's soccer, which has a loyal following and has for many years and has had success, uh, you know, people like Sean Johnson, the U.S. national team and MLS players and people playing all over the place, uh, they've had success. They're going to have to succeed in a very competitive Sun Belt. I think most fans, casual fans, won't even know that they're not in the Big 12, right? They're, but you're not going to see uh, an Oklahoma State on the schedule. You're going to see, uh, you know, more of the state schools. Uh, you know, you're going to see the Florida Atlantics and those sorts of schools. So I, I think, uh, I, I don't think it will matter. I think if they have success, that's what's going to determine the interest. But at the time of the year that it is, especially in this first year in the Big 12, I could see them getting lost a little bit. That's going to take UCF to put some marketing dollars to, you know, build that. It's a fun night out uh, to students and, and get those students to, to turn out and create a good home field environment. I think ties to Orlando City may be important now uh, more than ever is tying into the professional team in the market. There is a market for UCF men's soccer. They're in a good league. I do think they get lost a little in the Big 12 talk, but in the end, I don't think it matters much. I do have questions from this standpoint. This is a Sunbelt that just brought back men's soccer about a year ago. This is, I believe, their second year. As we're talking, Trace, they have not announced the conference schedule for men's soccer, whereas in comparison, the Big 12 is already – It's close. We're in July. Right. So – and a lot of people are like, wait, who's UCF playing? What school is in the Sunbelt? Like, what? Like, people don't know that West Virginia, for example, is in the Sunbelt. That Kentucky is that their new rival, West Virginia? <laughs> it could be. I mean, maybe they play for a Big 12 trophy or something. And you mentioned it. I mean, it's kind of weird because are they going to have a Sunbelt logo when men's soccer plays on the field? Like, how does this all work? they got to buy extra banners, Elo. You know Terry Modgers likes that. they got to trot out extra banners. I'm just very curious as we focus Big 12. People are going to be like, wait, they're, they're playing who again? James Madison? What? Why? Huh? Um, the other thing you bring up, we don't know what nights men's soccer is going to be playing. Are they going to be playing Saturday nights, for example? Well, that's up against college football. That's up against Orlando City, which you know now has the MLS has pretty much it's decided that Saturdays is their big day for soccer. So I do worry about where they get lost. And I think the bigger question is, and maybe this wasn't, you know, who knows whose decision this was. Are you better off being in the Sunbelt where you've been better off staying in the American where you still have South Florida? You have FAU in that league. You got FIU who's in the American for soccer. Would you have been better off staying in the American where at least the casual fan is familiar with those teams and those schools in the conference, which is also a strong league instead of this new league. Now the counter is there's power five, but I think that's the other question is Trace. Would they be, would have been easier if they would have stayed in the American if it was all up to everybody. And we don't know, maybe for all we know that both sides just wanted a divorce, but 
would they have been better off staying in the American in this tra- in, while everybody else is in the Big 12? I don't know. I think it's negligible. What was the date of the first soccer game last year? I mean, we've got to be about six weeks out. From, yeah. From play, uh, right? the, uh, I mean, women's soccer, they begin in August, don't they? The women's yes. game. Yeah. Yep. Middle and, to late and, August. And to not have a schedule is interesting. Uh, at this point, no, I don't think it matters uh, much uh, about the league. Um, I think UCF can still recruit well. I think Scott Calabrese has proven success uh, for UCF. Interesting, right? Uh, you mentioned West Virginia, Cincinnati during the pandemic, and used as an excuse to some degree, but they dropped men's soccer, right? So Cincinnati no longer has men's soccer. I don't think it matters. Uh, I think they need to succeed, and I think that's the case for all of the programs. A little different travel, though, going to Huntington, West Virginia, then Dallas, Texas. Uh, some interesting trips for them. You know, we're talking about moving the Big 12, a lot of travel, a lot of expenses. Is men's soccer going to have a little bit more of that with some of the cities they're going to have in the Sun Belt versus the big markets that you had in the American or in the Big 12? I mean, that would have had. So I, I, that's, to me, the big question with the men's soccer. Not only who they play, but I'm very interested in what will be a regular home schedule, what night of the week they play. We've seen yeah. some changes already with volleyball position, what, on Thursdays? Thursday nights or Friday nights mostly, yeah, yeah with an occasional Saturday, yeah. It's well, we're running out of time. Real quick, though, want to give you a shout-out that uh, Black and Gold Banneret, it's been a labor of love for you over a number of years, putting together its top 100 athletes, male and female Who's number one on the mail list as you've released uh, your updated rankings? I have Dante Culpepper. Seems fair to me. Number one. Have him number one. What will unseat Dante Culpepper? Because you know the impact that he's had on this program. What's it going to take to unseat Dante? How long does Dante, as you do these through the years, how long does he hold on to that number one spot? That's a great question, right? He's To me, I look at Dante Culpepper. I put him at the top of the reasons how UCF ended up getting exposure. That was the first time I remember UCF being brought up nationally was Dante Culpepper, the best quarterback in the state of Florida. Uh, and he goes to the NFL in the first round. Uh, I think it's maybe some, if Taylor Hendricks has an NBA hall of fame career, I think he could be in that conversation, but it can you put a basketball player on a football state trace? I don't know. I think it's going to take, maybe it's going to take a quarterback that has a healthy career college and pro uh, and, and it's, you know, Mackenzie Milton, would have he stayed healthy? Could he have been number one? Maybe. Maybe. Would have been Trace. I don't know. You think. What do you, what do you, what do you think there, Trace? Uh, I think it would have been interesting to see uh, that win streak over 17 and 18, the noise that UCF was making. I think Mackenzie Milton could have definitely given him uh, a run for things. All right. This was a quick half hour. Uh, let's check back in with Adam before we sign off for this premiere episode of Around the Kingdom. Adam. What, what do you know? What do you got? All right, fellas, I, I got some stuff to clean up for you. First and foremost, fun fact, UCF versus Kent State. Two and two all time, actually. Kent State won the last two. So this is a, a rubber match for UCF and Kent State. So. A heated rivalry with our match. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to settle this one. Uh, you guys talked a little bit about the Sun Belt. Do you know who won the Sun Belt Conference last year in men's soccer? Anybody? The Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky Wildcats. <laughs> yeah, that's what you think won. of when you think of Sun Belt. And then, Trace, you asked uh, the first game last year. It was uh, August 25th, the first men's soccer game last year. So we uh, were almost uh, 40 so, so, uh, some odd days away from that right now. And no official schedule. All right. Thank you. Not too many corrections. Good facts. 
not bad. Uh, well, I, I do. I, if I have time, I do want to ask Eric Lopez had Amber Olson as one of his top three setters in UCF volleyball history. I'd like to know the other two, Eric, who, who else rounds out that top three? Well, I will say Jenny Frank, who was the UCF athletic hall of famer played in 01 to 04 and mm-hmm. East Sun championships. And then Emily Kaiser, whose husband is Chad Matola. Mm. Was also a UCF alum and Hall of Famer, played in the big leagues, and now is the hitting coach with the Rays. Their husband and wife. That's got to be the greatest UCF power couple of all time in UCF athletics. UCF Fun fact. historian Eric Lopez. Now, our Fun plan fact. is to drop new episodes midweek, every week. Uh, you'll find them on the Sons of UCF YouTube channel. We plan to drop them into the Sons of UCF uh, audio channel as well, wherever you get your downloadable content, the podcast feed. Uh, Adam, thank you for the facts and the information and controlling everything behind the scenes. For Eric Lopez, I'm Trace Trickle. Thanks for joining us for Around the Kingdom. Sports Social Podcast Network. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.